Hi, Noiros. Welcome to it. You clicked it. You're to blame. It's, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> we can only make them. It's on you from there. But welcome to Out of the Podcast, episode 50. Wow. Technically, I mean, we've done bonus episodes. We're like 100 episodes in at this point. But episode 50 on the main feed. I wouldn't be in your shoes. We're going to get into it. Welcome to the show, Dan. What shoes you got on right now? Any? Uh, yeah, I have uh, Asics on. That's usually my go-to. Asics Dan like the, in the, the house. Tigers, you know. Uh, the what's that current Frosted Flake song right now? The Mighty Mighty Tiger. There's a new song. <laughs> I, they, I guess it's not that new, but they've been doing it for a minute. It's awful. It's a bad oh. ad campaign. I don't support it. I haven't seen it. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't support Frosted Flakes. I don't know who they're for anymore. I can't imagine kids are eating those. What about cornflakes, like regular cornflakes? How do you feel about those? Well, Joey with his vans, although they're not on at the moment, says cornflakes are fine. But okay, you know, if I'm going bland, I'm going to go a different kind, a different way. Because that's actually, uh, uh, interestingly enough, that is my uh, cereal this week that I've been eating. So oh, okay, <laughs> that's why I was asking. Well, I hope you're not bringing a cornflakes energy to the show, Dan. We're going to need full-on fruity pebbles from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I can bring it. Or what do you think that is the most sh- the sugariest cereal? Oh, cinnamon toast crunch. Cinnamon to toast be. crunch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like to the point where it's like too much with that cereal. Like it's it's like you eat it, it's just like particles of sweetness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I would eat it at someone's house, but it was never one I'm seeking on the stands. Yeah, if you have a sweet tooth, I mean, I think that's a go-to. I like a lot of the variations it's brought. Like there's like a protein bar version of it right now. Hmm. That's actually quite tasty. Um, I believe there's also a like Lucky Charms one. They're really doing crazy things with cereal right now. Check yeah. it out, folks. <laughs> what, what, what a time to be alive. I mean, um, you know, in that yeah. regard, truly, truly. We should have a disclaimer before this episode that a- anyone that, that is bored by, by talk of cereal should, should, you know, wait till a later mark. This is the disclaimer we put up and uh, we're worried about people being bored at this point. Yes. This was what broke it. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's it. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, it won't be all that shoe talk we're going to get into. Yeah. Dan, I watched The French Connection this week. Technically my first time. I did watch it once while not really paying attention. Oh, wow. What'd you think? Yeah. It was all right. It was good, but not great. I think there was a lot I really blew me away about it. And then there was somewhere it's just like, you gave this guy an Oscar, really? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some moments here and there that are kind of whatever. But in general, it's a cool movie. I, the chase I, I, is growing good. Up, I've loved, yeah, I was going to say the, the, the car chase sequence is great. A lot of, I mean, just the way it's filmed is very exciting. This, it really moves. Roy Scheider, of course, every yeah. time is like, I love that guy. I'm always looking for more of him. That was great. R- ride or die with Roy, Roy Scheider. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's to a point, but you know, he yeah. earned that retirement while still working, you know, yes. that's fine. But yeah, it was, and, um, especially like there was a shot with like the sniper or whatever, like the way it just revealed mm-hmm. that, that actually like turned up in my dreams that night. That was very really? fascinating. Yeah. That's interesting. Someone, someone was shooting at me, Dan. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that's a movie I haven't watched in a while, but I, I've seen it many times uh, and definitely a good winter watch. Like, yeah. A good wintry. It was yeah. on the Criterion channel. I really was looking to be blown away that night. And I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do this. And I was, uh, whatever, a blown step, away? whatever a step below blown away was, you know, it, I, I, there was moments of, of dynamite. Absolutely. Okay. That's fair. You watch anything of note? What have I watched of note? Um... Not that I can think of. I mean, I've been just kind of powering through some of the, the leftovers from the Criterion sale. Um, recently bought a bunch from the, the Kino sale that just happened a little while ago. So I'm waiting Kino, to get those. wow. 
I just texted you today that they announced Stunt Rock on Blu-ray. That's so incredible. Do you know Stunt Rock at all? I don't. I've actually never seen it. Have you seen the trailer? No, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to check it out. I urge you to watch the trailer as soon as possible. Almost maybe you should do it on the show. <laughs> do it. Do it live on air. Do it live um, on air. Put your phone to the to the speaker. Let's hear it, Dan. I don't know. I, I think I, I want to wait and, and actually experience it. I don't want to feel the pressures of. I, it might of be that one that where the trailer is semi better than the movie though. Interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in checking out. It looked cool. I mean, I, I read about it. I when tried you to create me. a moment on yeah. the show, folks, and old fuddy duddy Dan said, "No, thank you." I'm should not. know. You should know by now that I am. I am. God forbid a, we edited it out. Uh, all right, that's fine. Do you want to open up the out of the podcast mailbag? <laughs> oh, we have a mailbag. We oh yeah, let me, let, me, let me just get it. Oh, you got it. Can you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, lick the stamps, whatever. Um, hey, can yes. we get some sound effects buttons going? I think we just did a good job. Okay. We, we got we got some good takes. Cool. We, we uh, it's just that and some new wind, right? Okay. Always making blowout references. Yeah, I like it. Them. This comes from our friend Film Noir Confidential Instagram account. Shout out. Uh, Shout we got out. some postcards. Oh, the wow. Bad Girls of Film Noir. Oh, wow. We open with uh, Elizabeth Scott. Elizabeth Scott. Love Let's it. Let's see if Dan could identify everybody. It's tough to see. It's a that little dark. That one's a tough one. Yeah, Let's I can't. get that one. Okay. That's Veronica Lake. All right. That's Gene Tierney. That's uh, Peggy Cummins from... Is that her name from Gun Crazy? Yeah, yeah, that's Gun Crazy. Gun Crazy? Yeah. yeah. It's tough to see for me on that one as well. And Rita Hayworth. Gilda? Yep, from Gilda. Oh, and that's uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, this, this is like a Rorschach test right here. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and Lauren Bacall. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and is that Gloria Graham? Yeah. Okay. I believe that's that Crossfire. Tough, that was tough in that one. I believe that, that like one's a... Crossfire. That's the dance from, from yeah. Crossfire. Yes, yes. And then our final one can't see who that is it's a little dark who is that i'm not sure myself <laughs> you gotta give me that one <laughs> we'll come back to that but I feel Dan, like did pretty is, darn good though this is my set there's an equal set for you oh so thank you so much for that we appreciate it that's they look amazing they're they look so cool it's a great yeah. concept they always take such great screenshots on instagram i know a lot of our listeners follow them so thank you they'll know our confidential thank you so much great gift great gift i will i will find a good place to to display those yeah. Fantastic. It's a conversation starter. Look what we were able to do with it. Yeah. It was great. I love it. <laughs> we got to think of some uh, return, right. return gifts. <laughs> we get, we get our, it's uh, true. Our, our merch going. We're working on it. Yep. I, just, I, I, just you wait, listeners. It really is a, just a, when the moment comes and when, when there's time to make it happen, it will happen. There's always 2022. It's true. 2022, new pair of shoe. You ready to get into it? I am ready. Episode 50, folks. I wouldn't be in your shoes. This thing was released May 23rd, 1948 from our old friends at Monogram Pictures. Warner Archive for the Blu-ray we have to thank, of course. Uh, This comes from director William Nye. Screenplay by Steve Fisher. Another Steve Fisher one, huh? Mm -hmm. He's back again. He's back. City that never sleeps. How about the writer that never sleeps, huh, Dan? Yeah, and, and Cornell Woolrich, who actually the date of this recording, it's his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, date of yeah. this recording. So welcome to the show. This is a ride. This is a, a, a quite a ride. And now, I, I guess now that you've seen it, I can say why I, I thought this would be a good Christmas uh, episode because you they You think literally... you need to say it? It's, it's it. There's, well, there's Christmas is all over. There's presents and, of course, 
There's Santa Claus. Santa Claus makes an appearance in this movie. And I was going to say, I think I, I should have done a count of how many times the word Christmas is uttered <laughs> throughout this movie. It's, it's a decent it's, amount. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot. But I was very curious to hear your thoughts on this because this, this was your first time seeing it, right? This was my first one. I know you saw it right when it, it came out a couple months back. Like it was still pretty recent of a release, right? Yeah, relatively Maybe recent. Maybe September, I want to say. Yeah, sometime in the summertime. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it just came out, and yeah, my first visit with this, and I, it was a fun little movie. I, right? I you know, yeah, we'll get some great, it. some great little writing. I, I appreciate a lot of the quips in it. There's some really good. So plot. this is the same guy who wrote just a couple movies back, Lady in the Lake, which mm-hmm. was just god awful. <laughs> and it's just it, that you could just tell how much everyone was phoning that one in because this is just so great. It's such a, a nice splash of water in the face. It's more of that city that never sleeps type quality of writing that. Right. We enjoy from our friend Steve Fisher. And it's a, it's a quick runtime. I mean, it's like 71 minutes. Oh, beautiful runtime. Yeah, run you time. never feel yeah. it. Let's see if we can do the same kind of justice to our listeners and going over this thing. We're going to open with some great title cards. It's a noose with a shoe tied to it, Dan. That was yes. fun. Yep. Love that. So right off the bat, we're feeling good. We open on a prison and we're inside death row. And there's quite a cast of convicts here. And thankfully, one of them even has the music player, so we get some tunes going on. Yeah. And one of the convicts of interest is a tap dancer, Tom J. Quinn. And he's going to go ahead and take us back to how we got there. AKA Five, I should mention. Five, yes, yes, of course. As they refer to him in the prison. Yeah, it's a fun cast of characters there. Um, There's a criticism for you. More of those guys. They were great. Mm-hmm. A light criticism, a, a give me, give me, give me more kind of criticism. But we're gonna go ahead and flash back. We got the great. Oh, this is the flashback voice. So quiet back then, Dan. I, I'll never understand that. But <laughs> it was I was very able, muted. Yeah, it was a little muted. But we got we got good speakers here on the show, so everything's gonna be fine. And mm-hmm. we're gonna go ahead and take you back to a out of the winter and into a hot July night. We're in New York, and Tom's wife Anne is running late. He's very nervous. He's quite jealous. And we're going to later find out there's good reason to be jealous. You can't trust people. Not necessarily your wife, but people. There's also a great line from him when he says, uh, When you wait for a woman, you get knots inside your stomach. Okay, I can really feel all of that. Like, he, he really mm. painted the picture of just like, oh, God, I'm a failure. And my wife's bringing home the bacon. She's yeah. a dance instructor. Mm. And, yeah, she's been working hard, working late nights. She finally comes home. And, you know, poor Anne, she's exhausted. She hustled a couple of bucks out of someone called Santa Claus, which... Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not going to come up anymore. <laughs> and, you know, like we said, Tom is jealous. He's, he's quite depressed because he's failed as a dancer. He's a tap dancer, as mm-hmm. we said. And they're never going to make it to their dream of California. Everyone wants to make it to California, Dan. New York City's not good enough for anyone. It's a big time. You want to be in the, the silver screen. I, I suppose so. Wait, wait, City That Never Sleeps, that's Mechanical Man, right? Yes, no, it no, is. It is Mechanical Man, yeah. Yes. And also mm-hmm. where the, the city of Chicago... Yes, it's But it's that Chicago. also had dreams of California, too, didn't it? It did, yes. yes I think, so. th- I mean, that, that's the thing that comes up always times. It's, you know, it's the grass is always greener, like you're looking for greener pastures kind of thing where you're, you're you know, you have this kind of dream that you're trying to get through, but you can't get out of the situation. No one, no one can ever make it past California. That's as big as yep. you can dream. That's, yep. that's fair enough. And I, I'm sure you forgot, but we're still sweating here. It's so damn hot. And even though they're in separate beds, it's just too hot to fall asleep. And on top of that, in the alley, Dan, there's some loud cat, screeching cats. I believe two of them. Yes. Some, some great, you want to talk sound effects. Great <laughs> cat sound effects. 
Yep. Uh, and he tries to get them to quiet down. He's yelling at them, and eventually he throws his shoes at them, which is very funny. I'm sure that's not going to come into play at all. And we find out, uh, and was like, hey, you know, I know you just think you tossed your bad shoes, but I already threw those out. That's your only pair of shoes, sir. And it's his dance shoes. He wears them all the time. He should have just kept the other ones. I don't know why Anne's throwing away shoes, but I guess we need a plot here. So he's like, oh, boy, let me go get my shoes. (laughs) Heads into the alley, looks around for them, but they're nowhere to be found in the, the dark, sleepy haze of the night. So he goes back to bed. And in the morning, to Anne's shock, she finds the shoes outside the door waiting for them in the hallway. Hmm. And we're going to love shoes from here on out. Shoes, shoes, shoes. Tom even goes to get them shined. He's feeling great about life and is dancing, you know, pip, pip, top of the world, right? Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? Well, how about a police discovering the body of a wealthy recluse named Otis Watner? This guy is my last name, but with a W. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact for you. One I'm time. sure people fucking forget the ends in that one, too. I'd love <laughs> to talk to this guy. I bet we could share a beer. But he's dead, so I guess, uh-oh, no, guess no good. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's dead in a shed that's near Tom's building. There's also, we find out, he had some old out-of-circulation money that they can't find. It was quite a bit, like, was it $20,000 or something like that? I think that? it was more than that. I think they said it was, like, close to... I thought it was more than that, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 100000 I mean, it was a it was nice... It was, like, sixty or 70000 I can't. I can't remember. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was something like that. It was a lot, though. Yeah. More than the 2000 that we end up with later on. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so they're like, this is missing, but let's not tell that to the papers. We're going to keep that back and see what we can come up with. And then as we go outside, there's Inspector Clint Judd, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's played by Regis Toomey. Shout yeah. out to him. I thought he did a great job in this. Great character actor. He's in a lot. He's in a bunch of other film. I think he's in uh, Big Sleep. He is. And, We're going to get into it, he's, yeah. he's, 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 okay. he's an institution for sure. Yeah. But yeah, he's just, he's there. He sees a, a, a dripping pipe, which has created mud. And because of that mud, it created this perfect, distinctive footprint. And um, they're going to make a mold of it. And Dan, this is exactly the moment when I finally got the title of this movie. It took me, <laughs> it took me a second because it was like, all right, shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> wink, wink, huh? Look at, yep. look at you guys. Well done. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, shoes. They make a mold of it. And from this mold, they're somehow able to find out everything about him. His height, weight, shoe size. I like, found that fascinating. Like, they, like, that they, was like instantly else. knew, like, a picture of this guy. Like, his height, his weight. As long as you know someone's shoe size, you know everything about him. I had no idea. This movie taught me that, and I'm going to believe it. This is what I'll tell people. Like, I know things about shoes. Well, I will say this. He and I have the same shoe size, so. Yeah, what was it? <laughs> it's nine. Uh, nine. Which is interesting, okay. because he's considerably taller than me so uh, yeah i don't know if i'd buy it that that was probably like the writer's size or something yeah could be they forgot Um, to change it ten and a half here shout out to the ten and a half gang yep just wanted to say we love you thanks for being the right fit any anything to say to the to the nine nine i feel like it was important that we mentioned our shoe sizes in a a film noir about shoes so well dan now everyone's gonna know how much we weigh how tall we are it's it's game over from here they probably just got our social security numbers from this (laughs) Well, no, I didn't give my height or my weight. You, neither Dan, did you. You gave your shoe size. That's enough said. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Enough said. If, that's if, if there's an investigation, they'll they'll paint a picture. Yeah, that's true. We, we might as well have just given everyone our password. Sorry about that. Yeah. Good thing we have editors on this show. Yep. And also because of this, they find that it had taps. And who's going to buy tap shoes? We're going to go to these stores. We'll be able to track down who did this. No problem. Mm. It's, it's, come on. Now. How many dancers can there be? 
Meanwhile, Tom comes home and he says, Ann, I found a wallet with $2,000 in it. We're on a gravy train with biscuit wheels here. But unfortunately, I'm going to go take it to the cops. You know, that, that would have been nice, but we can't do it. But Ann really wants to keep it. And so they decide for at least a week, they're going to see if anything is looking for it in the newspapers. And the cops, they do their research with their footprint information and they instantly suspect Tom because of his shoes, but they don't arrest him. They want to see if they can find the stolen money. This is Judd's suggestion. Judd is very much on top of this case. Mm -hmm. The couple, they're like, they really want to buy all the Christmas presents that they never could afford over the years with the money. And Tom, he's, he goes to the store, he buys every single edition of uh, the day's newspaper, Yeah, which is okay, sure. to see if anyone's looking for this money. Nobody is. And also, so he gets from the woman who sells it to him because he's very friendly with the shop, this disgusting looking heart candy that keeps coming up, which is allegedly his favorite. Yes. You know, you know, it's like the, the Valentine's heart candy, but like an yeah. old version, a little more detailed actually, but yeah. I could taste it. It didn't look that good. <laughs> what do you well, think? I mean, it's like, it is like of... a candy shop. It's a confectionary, right? Like it's actually. Who sells that's... the newspaper. Yeah. I guess. Who also yeah. sells the newspaper. Yeah. Right. I mean, sure. Hey, anything thing. to get your buck. I mean, probably to make money because she says the kids want to buy more candy from her, but she refuses. They're willing to just like float her. And she says, no, 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 little children. Just one for you. But here's today's newspaper as well. I'm thinking it's for the parents. I think I think the kids drag them in to buy the candy and the parents get to pick up the newspaper. <laughs> I think it's that's a good what, move. You gotta look out for them. Yeah. Give them something to do. Well, we appreciate it. Shout out to uh, all the candy stores out there who give us a, a newspaper. A, the, the evening edition. So, yeah, we're going to find the stolen money. Oh, yeah. And so nothing's in the newspaper. Everything's looking good. We got all the gross heart candy. So Ann says, let's do it. Let's live it up. They each take $200 for the day. But the cops, they've been following Tom. They see him getting a pricey gift for his wife. They bust. Mm -hmm. And under interrogation, he says he didn't kill anyone, that he's innocent, and he only found $2,000. But the cops don't buy it. And Judd is like, Where's the rest of the money? And he also says, we should let Ann go and have someone follow her. And wouldn't you know it, he ends up being the one to do so. Isn't that nice yeah. for him? Uh, he's, he's a real go-getter, that Judd. Clint Judd. Clint, Clint Judd. <laughs> yes, he puts the double D in Judd. And so he takes Ann to a diner, which, welcome back. We haven't been to a diner in a long time, yeah, it feels like. If, I, I was glad to stop and get a burger. It was, it was nice to be there. Yeah, I guess yeah. we should mention that he that this is Santa Claus. I don't think we talked about it yet, but but he's he's This who, is she, where it gets revealed. She exactly. calls him. She calls him Santa Claus. Judd is Santa Claus. But isn't that something? I I, I thought that was fun that that was his name that yeah. he hates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He hates it. But he's the one giving up those fivers, you know? Yep. Giving her money. He's like, "I want to help out somehow," but she totally brushes him off and and he takes off. Tom gets charged with murder and robbery. And he's up for the death penalty. And during the trial, he has like a toothache, which makes him look pretty guilty. And yeah. I thought that was going to pay off in some way, but it never really happened. But, but it's interesting, like the kind of the, like the anxiety feeling they have with, where they say, like everybody's saying shoes, shoes, shoes. And like people on this, it's like the montage, like quick, like montage of like all the different people, witnesses, including his wife um, and all that stuff like that. I thought that's a really interesting scene. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, w within the budget, I mean, some of the stuff that you see in this movie, like that, that's what I love about these like monogram films, like Eagle Lion, all these ones. It's like, even if it's a, a short film, it's low budget, it's a B movie, like it still has interesting things about it and, and like kind of and pulls you into the story. And there's a lot going on in this story. Um, no, I mean, it, it's like bare bones with like budgets and sets, but it never feels like it. The quality of the acting no. is quite good. There's some stuff in particular coming up that I'll point out. And it pulls yeah, you I mean, in. And it, 
it never feels like a good beat yeah. movie with this one. It, it it absolutely does pull you in, and you know, there's been slower movies of this runtime that we've watched. Yeah, this this is nothing like that. It, it every moment you're you're just along for the ride. Right. It's a it's a fun yeah fun pace. You know, get get a good 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 vibe going on. Yeah, speaking of good vibes, none for Tom. Nope. The shoe print was proof enough, and he's sentenced to die in the electric chair. And now it's 10 more shopping days until Christmas, Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. We get to see that sign. That was nice. Poor Anne, she's trying to cope. She's wearing her bracelet that Tom got her, and he got busted for. And she's also listening to a radio that she bought. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves radios. I mean, that's that's the uh, 4K TV of the day, huh, Dan? Yep. Well, I think we're t- TVs weren't around then. I guess at that point, I'm trying to think of what year that came out. It was like, it wasn't long after that. I looked that up. I'll probably get it. When I look it up, you still got to think it it would have been super expensive. Yeah. Crude experiments in the 1920s. I want to say it's like the fifties. That would be my guess, but this is a long interest. So we're going to go with that. I just love the the phrase crude experiments in the 1920s. Yeah. That's a good title. But yeah, I mean, they definitely, yeah, they definitely weren't super like prevalent all over the place um yeah radios were it still had plenty of good radio shows to listen to Hmm? lots to do with the radio so shout out to that maybe we'll go ahead and play something after this we'll we'll, we'll tune into the old radio for the first time in in quite a while (laughs) i mean i guess that's what we're, we're just doing the new 21st century version of the radio right yeah basically yeah, basically. All it's right. it's oh. interesting how it's kind of almost come full circle. <laughs> Isn't it? I, once it gets back to the people, we decided, hey, we love the radio. It was the corporations that ruined it. We're taking it back. We're yep. Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Deep cut. Uh, so anyways, at night, Anne goes into that shed, you know, where the cops were before, where they found the body, and she finds Judd inside. And it's very shadowy and intimate. And uh, mm. Anne and Judd have very great chemistry in this yeah. moment. One of my favorite sequences in the movie is this I, this, this scene. This, love this. And yeah. she wants Judd to help get Tom out of jail. And, and she knows that he's obsessed with her. Yeah. And she, so she's like, you know, I'll marry you if you can help get him off. It's Christmas Eve and I'm lonesome and afraid. You're lonesome too, aren't you, Santa Claus? But there's a big difference. I'm used to it. You don't have to be, Santa Claus. I asked you once before, don't call me that. You're a nice guy. I'll find a girl that can really fall in love with you. A wonderful girl. I don't want just any girl. If you set him free, and if you want it that way, I'll marry you myself. I don't believe it. I would. I wouldn't want you that way. We can talk about that later. All this is terribly unimportant right now. Anne, what could I do to get him released? You must believe he's innocent. But the evidence. Please believe me. But... Please. Christmas gift. Please save him. So Judd, he decides to go ahead and continue the investigation. He heads to Pittsfield, Massachusetts, I believe, if I know yes. Pittsfield's. Yes, they don't mention it. They didn't explicitly say it, but as someone who's from near that area, I was like, ooh, I bet that's Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And they find John L. Kozloff there. 
And this is a guy who lived at Ann and Tom's rooming house. And he looks good for the murder. So he takes him back to New York on the train. But Kozlov, he actually is innocent. And the cops are able to prove that quite quickly. He's got airtight alibi. Let this guy go. And, and they make a show of it, like, right in front of Ann, too. Like, they bring her in. And right. Judd's like, all right, I got this guy. And then it's like, no, 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 he was, he was somewhere at the right time. And then it's like, oh, darn, sorry, Ann, I tried. Oops. Oh, Oops. well. Yep. Yeah, well, I, we should also mention, I, I do like the scene, uh, you know, how they kind of, how he arrives at uh, finding Woolrich through his old landlady, like, the because he was, like, subletting a room in that rooming house and he like knocks on these different doors and it's basically it's like christmas eve because like at that point you know he'd been to a couple different locations like at night between his boss and his boss is like oh it's like a closed case don't worry about it and then you know and when he grabs uh kozloff he's like i was about to propose to his fiance you know he's got christmas his girlfriend he was ready to go and this guy totally just ruins his night way to go judd hey kozloff i wouldn't be in your shoes huh nope there's a lot of people I wouldn't want to be in their shoes in this movie. <laughs> no, no I'm, I, I don't care for the shoe selection in this one if I'm going shopping. Yeah. We're back to the present. We catch up to the to the the flashback. And Tom's thinking of the last time that he had seen Anne. And also the shock of impending death hits him. And he, he prepares for infinite nothing. Mm-hmm. Things are not looking good. And we're back with Judd. And he's talking to Anne. He's like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take care of you. I've spent all my savings on this apartment for you. It's on the nice side of town. And when we actually do see this apartment, it comes up. It is quite an upgrade. It's a great looking place. Yeah. I was, I was quite taken with it. Oh, yeah. And even, this, even on monogram budget, I was like, wow, this looks really good. Yeah, maybe that's one of the producer's places or something. I don't yeah. know. But it, it, was, it was quite nice. Absolutely. Because, yeah, the, the place you open with is like, yep, that's monogram. All right. Like, yep. this must be the offices. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this is when Anne, he, she, I mean, she finally gets how deep Judson's obsession is with her. And she starts to figure out that he's the killer mm-hmm. and that he had orchestrated all of this just to be with her. Because she notices the old Bill because he like throws like a bill at her. Uh, yeah, because he, get, he get, has, gets in such a, uh, a huff where he's like, you know, ah, whatever. I'm, I'm not that obsessed with you. You know, I could walk away. And he's like, yeah, it takes some money or whatever. And yeah, it throws him an old 20. And it's just like, that's she where she gets it. it. Yep. Yeah, she realizes she's like, oh, I got to go get my jacket. I'll be right back. Yeah, I wonder what she's off to do. Yeah. But she wants to make sure that this last gaps to save Tom that's going to count. So she, they head to the apartment and she gets Judd to confess everything. You're crazy. Who could have framed it any better? I tried to get your husband off. Sure. So you could be a big hero in my eyes. The only reason I kissed you was because I was desperate for any help I could get. And the only reason you agreed to help was because you thought you'd have me. That's not true. Yes, it is. Kozlov was no stranger who suddenly turned up. He was a suspect at the time of the murder. All you did was locate him and rub in a little circumstantial evidence. Only in your hurry, you forgot to check his hospital record. You were in the hurry at the school tonight, too. You fumbled in your pocket for a bill. You didn't see what bill you gave me. This bill is just like the bill that was in the wallet Tom found. You killed him, didn't you? Why don't you admit it? What does all that matter now? He was no use to anybody. I wanted you to have everything in the world, don't you understand? What difference does that make now? I love you. 
And then the police come in. Uh, and it turns out that's where she went. She made a call to say, hey, <laughs> your guy Judd did everything. Why don't you come to this apartment and, and listen for a little bit? Mm-hmm. So they hear everything. Judd reaches for a gun and the police are trying to arrest him and he gets shot dead. He doesn't make it. Yeah, and you see how like obsessed he is with her because he like goes through this whole long story about how he like visited her hometown and like talked to people she knew and like learned everything about her. He just he found her favorite perfume, you know, to, to have he, in the apartment. He's like a, creep. a piano. Yeah, like you, you do feel kind of bad for him because he, he seems like he's so like obsessed and in love. I don't with feel her. bad for this guy. This guy sucks. What are you talking about? No, I, I mean like it's just it's just really sad that this guy like you know he's also a cop too and he orchestrated this whole crazy thing yeah, he, that he, like he abused his power yeah and his he was, position like, watching to, them and set up to, this whole to plot stalk people yeah yeah I mean like, you know judging from how you can get a person's life story from a shoe print maybe it wasn't that much work but yeah it seemed like he went above and beyond here no Christmas for him but Tom gets saved right in the nick of time. He gets out, he's reunited with Anne, and we get a happy ending noir. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, normally you think you would get like that, it kind of ends on that note where she got is she's in the embrace of the police inspector and like that's how it ends. And he's like, Oh, we're we're calling we have the governor the governor on on the phone, like we're gonna part him. And you, typically it's dude, that's the end, but they have that little tail ending where they're on the train and they look like they're all happy and, and go probably presumably going to California. So I believe they were, yeah. Yeah. They they, they deserve it. Yeah, but well yeah, done. great, great movie. Packs everything you want. I give it seven out of ten Californias, Dan. How about Ooh. you? Yeah, I, I would say at least 7.5, 7.8. Yeah, okay. I, I, this was like an instant one for me. I mean, also, like, I, I have to point out, like, the, the, the archive, one archive one, the print looks amazing. And great the cover's print. great. I love, I love the colors on it. I love, I love the presentation of it. It looks fantastic. Great, great original poster design. Whoever yeah. did it at I, the studio. It's like a nice little movie. I, I really enjoy it. Um, like watching it again, I, I loved it just as much, if not more, the second time around. Like it's definitely like a movie you could watch because it's so short. Uh, you can watch it quick, just throw it on, good time. It'll draw you in and then you're out. You know, it's like yep. that kind of kind of time where you're just like, yeah, if you want to immerse yourself in a quick little film noir, well, that's that's a good time. It's got a little, little bit holiday of holiday noir, get yep. it in, get it out. No, yep. this, this belongs on the list. I, I, I'm glad we got here. It was a fun little time. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you, you ready for it. some some fun facts, Dan. I'm always ready. I'm sure you saw from Wikipedia and IMDb. There's plenty to go around here. I've Absolutely. never. This is the first time for one of our movies. IMDb had zero trivia whatsoever. Yes. But let's talk about Don Castle. This is who played our dancer, Tom mm-hmm. J. Quinn. Uh, he was always on the cusp of breaking out, but it never really happened for him. He's born Marion Goodman Jr. in Texas. Mm-hmm. Then he headed west to try his hand at acting. And change his name to Don Castle because duh, it's a way better name. Nobody wants a Marion, we've learned from all mm. the people who changed their name to something else. Was it wasn't the Duke of Marion, John Wayne? I think. I think so. Dan's gonna look that up as I continue. But yeah, Don Castle, he was noticed by an agent who thought he looked just like a young Clark Gable. So he's brought to MGM where he was signed and started at the bottom to work his way up slowly in uncredited roles, like tiny roles, but then he was able to take on something more substantial but it was always as like support of in like comedic pitches. Nothing, nothing to write home about. What'd you find Dan? Yeah. John Wayne. Yeah. His real name is Marion Robert Morrison. There you go. And I, I want to mention. Imagine quick, bullying the Duke at school. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I want to mention, I, I did actually, I even wrote down a line that I thought was really good. Hey, what it, do you got? It was from, from, uh, it was said by, by uh, Don. Uh, he says, I, I think it's towards the very end of the movie. And, uh, 
they're kind of a, like incriminating him about you know saying that he was a murderer and he says Mur i haven't murdered anybody since i played newark ah yeah that's right <laughs> and i was like wow that is, that is a good line that was good um, stuff and he says and there's one in the beginning too where like he's getting the shoe shine and it's something like i didn't write it down but it's something to the effect of that's the trouble with this town somebody's always dying because yeah, the shoe shine guy's like oh yeah it's probably someone dead he's he's definitely a when he's out with people, he's able to show like a, a side that's very much in denial about what he's like, ah, everything will be fine. But then he goes yeah. back to his wife and he's like, life sucks. Nobody wants me. He's got this like quip ready to go. Yes. Well, our young Clark Gable is like that. Paramount would pick up his contract soon after those comedic pitchers. And he had a strong start with them, but then he was drafted in the Air Force in World War II. When he was discharged, Paramount had lost interest in him, but he would find minor success in the Poverty Row pitchers, like the one we watched today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after Hollywood had fizzled out for him in the early 1950s, Castle and his second wife, Zeta, opened up Castle's Red Barn in Palm Springs, which did quite well for the seven years that they ran. It was a lodging hotel people stayed at. It was, it was quite popular for the area. Mm-hmm. And he acted a few more times and actually got an associate producer job on Lassie wow. from a producer friend of his from the old days. Unfortunately, though, things would get dark from there. And after divorcing Zeta in 1962, he would fall into depression and died from a drug overdose at age 47. Wow. Next up, and maybe best up, Elise Knox Ann Quinn. She's from Hartford, Connecticut. So right off the bat, good to have you. <laughs> she got her start in fashion, starting mostly in design, but then later modeling. And in fact, after modeling some of her creations for Vogue, she was offered a contract from 20th Century Fox. And she had many minor roles until 1942, when she was offered a leading role in The Mummy's Tomb from Universal, from The Mummy franchise. Mm-hmm. And in 1944, she would be in many a morale booster film for the troops and was even a pinup girl during World War II. The next year, she would sign with Monogram, specifically to play Anne Howe in the Joe Palooka franchise, which is based on the comic strip of the same name by Ham Fisher. Mm-hmm. This is a side note to anyone out there who's bored, go ahead and go to the Comics Journal website, tcj.com. Look up their coverage on Ham Fisher and his feud with the gross evil Al Cap. It's incredible, interesting. The world of cartoonists at that time is, is something else. But she would be in six of those movies. And actually, today's movie was sandwiched in between two of them. Mm-hmm. And she retired from acting soon after in 1949. Her personal life is very interesting. She met Heisman Trophy winning football player Tom Harmon on Bing Crosby radio show. And they were engaged, but they broke it off when Harmon had joined the Air Force in 42. So she married someone else instead, but it would end in divorce. And Harmon had returned from the war, having survived two plane crashes and getting lost in the jungle. Uh, they got married in 44. And actually her wedding dress was made from the silk from Harmon's parachute that he used to escape from one of his crashes. Oh, man. Um, and their children are all of note. Their daughter, Kristen, was a painter and was married to Ricky Nelson, hmm. themselves having children, which include the uh, Nelson twins, the, the musical outfit. Yes, yes. Uh, Another daughter was Kelly, who was married to John DeLorean at one time, the creator of the DeLorean car. Wow. And then their son, Mark Harmon, is an actor. You might know from St. Elsewhere and CIS, you know, stuff like that. That's great. Regis Toomey, our old friend Santa Claus. He's from Pittsburgh. He had actually chose acting over law after high school, and he made his way to Broadway, but had to give up. Uh, he sang, and he, but he developed throat problems while he was on tour in Europe. He had turned to film acting in 1929, first as a leading man, but he actually found more success as a character actor instead. He said, quote, I'd rather be a supporting actor than a star. Supporting actors last longer, end quote. He certainly made the case for that. In 1941, Toomey had appeared in You're in the Army Now, 
in which him and, and Jane Wyman had shared the longest screen kiss in cinema history. Three minutes and five seconds. That's a long kiss. Dude. That's a, yeah, that is a long kiss. It's hum- <laughs> inhuman, wow. I would say. Yeah. Um, he had a, a career as long as that kiss. Uh, we've seen him, of course, as Dan alluded to earlier in The Big Sleep. And he continued as a character actor and found further success in television. And he made it to age 93. Uh, unfortunately, though, he was a close friend to Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. And he was a lifelong conservative. Ooh. Woof. Yeah. William Nye, our director. Uh, not too much on him, but he's from Berlin, Wisconsin. And he would begin his career as an actor before transitioning to a director. He had, in fact, directed 119 films, wow. many of them B films. And this was actually his penultimate work. He would die seven years later at the age of 74. Producer Walter Mersch, he just turned 100 on November 8th, day, and he's still with us. Wow. And uh, he had won the Oscar for In the Heat of the Night in 1967. And he also produced The Magnificent Seven. So this is, this is an old pro. He might come around again. Yeah. Steve Fisher, our screenwriter, he wrote for The Pulps, and he had found success in the popular Black Mask magazine. And he was actually friends with author Cornell Woolrich, who mm-hmm. came up with today's film. And he got him writing gigs, actually. Hmm. Um, but after struggling himself a little, he moved to Paris, which was much more affordable for him. And within six months, his agent sold his work to Hollywood. And so he returned to the place where he'd grown up to work as a screenwriter. Noir fans would probably recognize his works as Dead Reckoning, City That Never Sleeps, and Lady in the Lake, as we said. And I Wake Up Screaming, which he also wrote the novel for. Love that and movie. In, it's a great one. We are absolutely going to get to that. And in the 1970s, he wrote for television before dying of a heart attack in 1980 at age 67. Hmm. Cornell Woolrich. Oh, boy, this guy. (laughs) Uh We got some stuff here. The short story, I Wouldn't Be in Your Shoes, had actually originally appeared in a 1938 edition of Detective Fiction Weekly. He published it under the name William Irish. And a William Irish story collection would be issued in 1943, once again, under the title, I Wouldn't Be in Your Shoes. Mm -hmm. It had one of his most celebrated works called Nightmare, which was later adapted twice. First in 1947 as Fear in the Night, which features DeForest Kelly in his debut role. And then again in 1956, this time under its original title, Nightmare, starring Edward G. Robinson. He was a crime writer from New York. He attended Columbia University, but never left before graduating. Or he left before graduating, excuse me. And uh, before he was going to graduate, he had published his first novel called Cover Charge, this and his other works during this time would be of the jazz age genre. He continued to find minor success and decided to take his chances in Hollywood as a screenwriter, working on a script for his second novel, which was called Children of the Ritz. And it was here that he married Gloria Blackton, who was daughter of J. Stuart Blackton, who was founder of the Vita Graph Company, which was a film studio from the early days of cinema. But the marriage was over after three months and it was later annulled as they had never consummated it. And this would be due to the fact that Woolrich was closeted gay and he was quite promiscuous, Mm. which was a deal breaker for his new bride. Huh? Would you believe it? Mm. And so after this marriage crumbled and his screenwriting had failed, he decided to return his focus on being a novelist. The world, however, had moved on from the jazz age novels that he had wrote. And so after being unable to find a publisher for his seventh novel titled I Love You, Paris, he threw it away and he turned his attentions to the pulp and detective fiction genres. He wrote under many names, and his stories were quite popular when adapted to film. His 1942 story, It Had to Be Murder, would be the source for Hitchcock's Rear Window. Mm-hmm. Truffaut had adapted The Bride Wore Black and Waltz into Darkness under the title Mississippi Mermaid. Mm-hmm. And then Robert Siomak's Phantom Lady in 1944, yep. which we're going to get to as well. Yep. 
Uh, Woolrich had moved back to New York and lived with his mom in a seedy Hotel Marcellus, despite having wealth, and his mother would pass away in 1957, which sent him into a dark psychological decline. He would move into a better hotel closer to Central Park, but he was a recluse in his 60s. Things were bad for him. He was a drunk. He was feeling guilty and loathing about his sexuality, and he was a diabetic. And he would get a foot infection that got so bad that it had to be amputated, which put him in a wheelchair, oh, and he died weighing 89 pounds. Wow. And that's the note we're going to end on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't be in his shoes, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, quite a life lived, but we appreciate the, the wonderful stories we got from everybody and the feat that they accomplished with this uh, film, and they were able to help us out with this episode. I hope, mm-hmm. hope everyone liked it as much as we did. Yeah, and, and again, shout out to, to One Archive for you know kind of rescuing a lot of these movies, especially this one, because this seems like this one, they, they basically said like it hadn't been seen for like a really, really long time. Yeah, there's no DVD why, or anything right. like that. It just kind of just appeared, and, and I think people are now starting to learn of it. So if we're able to assist in any way, we're glad to do so. This was a great yes. one. Good time. Speaking of great ones and good times, Dan, we're, we're, we're here, Dan. We're doing it. Next week, episode 51, our, our Christmas episode discussed since the day we met probably beyond even like when we were going to do the podcast but we've been holding this one in our pocket i feel like we're a well-oiled machine we're, we're ready to do it mm-hmm. we're going to 1961 it's going to be a blast of silence folks yep you get spotted before the hit the contract's off you understand me yeah, I understand you. You're going to be party to an attempt to kill a man. This is the asphalt jungle. This is New York City, with its fancy women and fancy hoodlums. With its very special beat. Its very special places. Its hunters and hunted. And you will walk side by side with Frankie Bono as he stalks his prey, knowing what is in his mind, feeling what is in his heart. And your hands will sweat with his fear. Your pulse will pound with his desire. Frankie, no! No, Frankie! You're gonna have to be game, Frank. You're gonna have to pay luxury prices, boy. I'll pay you nothing. And even as he prepares to unleash his blast of silence, you will discover that you and Frankie Bono are playing the most dangerous game in the world. Speechless. I, I can't wait to get into this one. This I was going to say, first, first time Joey's speechless. Oh, I, it's it's going to be a pun intended blast. It, you're you're yeah. going to love it. We've Lots all seen it. But we're, yeah. we got a new excuse to watch it and gush and come join us. You won't be sorry. And if you're sorry, why are you listening? Like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. But if you are sorry, email us the real out of the podcast at gmail.com. We will accept your apologies. We can't guarantee forgiveness, but Give it a shot. We will also take apology comments on out of the podcast on Instagram, out of the cast, Twitter, 
wherever you want to apologize to us, we'll, we'll take it. If you guys want to mail us stuff, the mailbag is open for apologies. Just email us and we can make this happen for you. Cool. All right, Dan. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> and thank you for joining me. <laughs> On our weekly conversation. I'm always happy to be joined and to join. Yes. yes. A couple, couple of joiners here. Yep. And I hope you'll join me once again in a toast to say, here's the crime. Dan, here's the crime. Ridding. Mm-hmm.